0: Welcome to SME Funding. My name is Lynette Ndouliv of Innate Investment Solutions. And each week, my co-host and I, Kumaran Padayachi of Spartan, demystify the complex world of funding. Now, we've spoken extensively about the language as well as the terms that are used in funding transactions and we try as often as we possibly can to make sure that you at home are able to understand them, but more importantly are able to use them in the correct context as you sit for interviews with different funders and as you prepare the all-important funding application. Kumaran, how are you today?
1: Very well, very well. You know, I would like to uh, uh, guide the audience with this episode, uh, which is Glossary, Mm -hmm. as a series within the series, right? Absolutely. Because every now and again we're peppering or alternating some episodes with titled Glossary amigwaying Through the Alphabet. So today is about that.
0: Yep, and today we start where we last ended off, with the letter D. Yes. And off we go with due diligence. Mm. So what is a due diligence, Kumaran?
1: Simplistically, a due diligence is when any investor or financer, that's equity investor or debt financer, undertakes a deep analysis to, of your business and yourself as the mm. entrepreneur, to ascertain if it meets their criteria, if they're comfortable uh, assessing all the different uh, risks and uh, to decide if they want to take it forward or not. Simplistically, that's... You know, another way to look at it, if I had to use a, uh, an, an analogy, mm-hmm. is... Um, you know, what we would do in a relationship when we start off, right? Imagine 18, 19 years, or maybe not then. Maybe when you're a little bit more serious and wanting to know, okay, is this guy going to be my marriage partner or vice versa? Mm-hmm. And then you'll do check them out in all kind of different ways. You start to, asking
0: them serious to questions. To decide to put
1: the ring on, mm-hmm. right? So this is a little bit of that, you know, a bit of not so much sneakiness like what will happen there. <laughs> it's more on the table.
0: So, Kumaran, I do know that with most funders, it's not an automatic part of the process that you get to the due diligence phase yes and it's often based um, on the success of your initial application and making sure that everything is in it so that there is an interest to actually come and meet you yes. and interact closely with your business yes what moves a application from a simple entry due diligence process. What are the success success factors Success factors. Yeah,
1: cool. It's the basics. Mm. So if they have an initial criteria, there's application form, basic set of financial documents that would be supplied. Mm. Let's say they they say, give me these nine items and Mm -hmm. whatever. And so they take that and do a a very light desktop kind of analysis. If that meets their criteria in terms of maybe amounts, Mm -hmm. you're looking for the formality of the business, the basic... uh, affordability test just right there and then, uh, then they will decide to do the due diligence. But let me talk a bit more about that. Not all funders bother with the due diligence. Yes. Right. So if you're requiring finance for a a basic uh, low-level plant and machinery or vehicle or whatever, that's simply going to be a transactional funding thing. Yes. So there's no need for due diligence Mm. there. So let's distinguish that. And, And why do they, getting back to those that will do a due diligence, why do they want to do that precursor Because due diligence is going to require some time and effort. They will generally put more than one person, not always, Mm -hmm. but it could be two, three, four, depending on the quantum of what you're looking Mm -hmm. for. So look at all those man hours and time and resources. So they don't want to do that until they know, hang on, we've got something that we kind of like at face value.
0: This is something we're sticking with.
1: This is something we want to spend more, invest more time with.
0: And who would typically come to a due diligence? You've mentioned two or three or even four people coming through. I and mean, so, what are they looking for on site?
1: So it would be uh, uh, technical people, mm-hmm. it would be the analysts, so it would be a financial analysts, it could be a legal person, it depends on your business. Mm-hmm. So they could, uh, like I said, they could be uh, one or two analysts, these are financially qualified mm-hmm. people, they could be a legal person, they, they, they could have a mixture of senior versus junior people mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in the team. Well, what they would look for is there's generally, there's there's books on due diligence, right? So there's a standard grocery list, Mm -hmm. probably 100, 200 uh, categories. Mm -hmm. And a funder would uh, pick out the core general categories to go through, and then some peculiar ones that pertain to your specific sector. So let's say the peculiar one, let's say you're in manufacturing. So, they would look at things around that would affect a manufacturing type of business, would be uh, health and safety considerations, there could be environmental issues they would take off, there could be foreign exchange risk they would take off. So that would apply to that kind of business, Mm. over and above the normal Mm. general due diligence.
0: And could you perform a due diligence process for your own business and use it as a document that you keep? Because ah. is this something that you wait for a funder to arrive at your door or no. is this something valuable, that you would...
1: valuable, valuable question, Lynette. Uh, you, you should be prepared, you, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, prepare a file of mm. what you envisage to be the common things they would ask for. And like I said, there's books or even on Google you can go through a list and you say, well, these are the basics I should take care of. Oh, by the way, I'm in the manufacturing sector or the retail sector or what have you, so let me also address those things. And prepare the file, prepare the document electronically and physically. At least it takes care of 80% of what they may Mm -hmm. ask. The other 20% is still going to be on the spot. All right. So So let's get to
0: our next term. Early
1: stage. Can you? Early stage. So
0: this is a a term I think that's loved and favored by those, particularly in the angel investment world and the venture capital world. Particularly when we look at traditional U.S. models of funding, funding and financing business. Early stage businesses are really that businesses that are generally in year zero to year three of their business development journey. So it's a startup. It's a business that hasn't accumulated perhaps an extensive track record, an extensive book of clients, that hasn't done a lot of work and is honestly just there in those first critical stages of its growth where it's finding out new things about itself. Yes. And more importantly, it's beginning to say, well, what are the next building blocks of us becoming the M in the SME,
1: yes. as it were? So what's important about this term, in fact, for any for any of the glossary items we, we talk about, is that... It gives it a common language. So early stage, first of all, uh, if the entrepreneur can recognise, okay, yes. I'm in an early stage, the, the, he can now start uh, finding tips and guidance and documentation mm. and funders that specialise in early stage. Remember, there's yes. different strokes for different folks. Mm. So they are funders that specialise, not many, unfortunately, yes. that specialise in, uh, in, in early g- stage businesses. Yes. So given that that's a common term... Both parties can use that term to find each other, you know Mm, what I mean, mm, Uh, mm. in terms of dating. And and so tips and guidances that are appropriate for an early stage business, Uh one can now start researching to help your preparation, Mm -hmm. your networking, and all of that. Mm. So that's why this term is very important, I think.
0: I think the the term is also important if we look at things such as our targeted procurement in our country, triple E-codes, and the emphasis on enterprise development, and also our scorecards in terms of, of that as well. You know, there are EMEs and QSEs, and understanding who you are in the context of an EME or a QSE, and all the exemptions, but also the benefits that come to your scorecards mm. based on the exemptions because of your size and where you are in the stage of your business are also useful little tips that may make it an advantage to be an early-stage business. But of course, we're here to grow businesses, so we need you to get straight through it and move to the M in the SME. We'll be back after the break when we'll be discussing more terms in the language around finance. Welcome back to another episode of SME Funding. Today, Kumaran and I are going through our glossary. And each, and as often as possible, we try to bring you various terms that are important to know as well as to include in your discussions as well as applications for funding. Now, Kumaran, the next term that we have on our list is economies of scale. And this term is often broadly used from an economics Perspective. I certainly, again, remember it from my varsity days when it was used very broadly. But how do we break it down and break it down so that we can actually use it within the context of the numerical um, efficiencies in our funding applications?
1: So I'm going to give a technical and traditional definition as well as yeah. a general one and an example of, uh, yes. examples of it. Right? So technical and traditional definition is when uh, you the, the volume of whatever you're producing increases to such a level, that the cost of each item starts dropping. So let me give you an example of mm-hmm. what that may mean. If you're a manufacturing business, okay. and imagine you set up this factory that cost you five million rand to set this thing up, and you employed uh, uh, 20 people, and you've got all the rent and all of that, and you've got a certain fixed cost, and this capacity for this factory to produce is a uh, hundred thousand units a month. Yes. And let's a, let's assume you produce, uh, you know only a 1,000 units a month. Your cost, if you divide the whole thing for each of those units, is very high, of that 1,000. But as you start reaching those 100,000 units, your price per each one starts dropping. That's technically and traditionally what it means. Generally, what does it mean? It means the more you reach uh, massive volumes in whatever you're doing, uh, it, you should be getting uh, econ- you should be getting uh, more profitability and more margin. So yes. it can apply to market as well. So let's take Uber. If Uber only had uh, ten Uber drivers, right, Uber. Mm-hmm. and with this whole market, it may not be viable to pay for uh, everything. But as as time increases and as there's more users, the unit costs for its head office uh, should be dropping as well.
0: Um, okay. So so economies of scale now applied into our applications is this something and a ratio we perhaps need to show in our forecasts as well as in our financials
1: when you a uh, business that uh, is volume dependent whether yes. it be manufacturing or user driven right mm-hmm. uh, you want the ability to show a funder that you can reach that point you're aware of that issue okay. so you economies of scale will be used together with break-even analysis yes. right so so you'll be putting in your forecast to say listen i need x amount of further funding to grow this business this new chapter and this will be my break even mm-hmm. and i will reach that in x amount of time and after that as the business grows we will start increasing our profitability no right so that's so
0: as you a- show increases in profitability um within the context of using the term how does this improve your chances of securing funding because that's what our viewers at home really want to know.
1: It, it uh, shows that there's enough margin for error ah. uh, with the funder. Because you, you, the more profitability there is, the more buffer there is, and the quicker you can reach that economies of scale, it shows that, okay, things, lots of things can go wrong. and There's a lot, a lot of buffer left in this. And it also shows the potential for, grow, for growth. Anyone wants to, any funder wants to be involved in that, right?
0: All right. Thank you very much for that explanation. Our next term, Kumaran, oh, the you elev- elevator pitch. Yeah. Now, the elevator pitch for the best parts, particularly in startup culture, is quite a buzzword, and it often refers to the ability to stand up and literally between the lift movement, present who you are, what business you're in, the problem you solve, and why you need to speak to that particular person. Um, It often doesn't work that way in real life. And an elevator pitch, while it does need to be relatively brief and relatively to the point, needs to perhaps corner and make sure that it opens a door, or at least an opportunity for you to whoever you deliver it to. So it's a really concise outline of your business, what it is that you produce, what it is that you are trying to sell, if you are in an elevator with a funder, why, and to who, yeah, and, to who? And, and, and your
1: audience. And what's unique. So, well, so
0: it's a, the over, would you say then, Kumaran, the overall pitch should be your unique selling proposition? Yeah. Or do you need to specifically say, and this is why we're different in the market?
1: That why we're different is very
0: important. It's very important. Yeah. And then based on who you're telling it yeah. to. Whether it is a potential client or a potential funder, yeah. you need to very quickly hone in and identify on why you need a second interaction with them, yeah, whether it's to sell it. So that's why the why unique.
1: That's why the why unique is mm-hmm. coming up, right? So imagine you're going up in this elevator, and then the the person you tell you blab to them a story that doesn't make sense. Yes, they're going to get off and say cheers, versus hey, listen, here's my card, or give me your card.
0: Because now I want to hear so more. It's, it's the difference between the door closing on you and the door <laughs> opening on yeah. you. So
1: I want to spend a minute or two on this. This elevator pitch is something that is very neglected yes. by entrepreneurs and SMEs. It's you know one traditionally thinks, well, let me use the elevator pitch if I'm going for VC funding and early stage and all of that nonsense. Mm-hmm. But actually, it applies to any Absolutely any stage every of funding, audience. right? Yes. Any stage of funding, and. It needs to be practiced and refined, like a like a poet, like you're You know, they pay attention to those words for what's it stanzas or whatever it is. How many lines mm. it goes? That's how ele- elevated pitch has got to be done. It has to be succinct. It's very precise. It mm. is very succinct. Uh, it's almost like poetry, like right. And and that should be written at the introduction of your business documentation, nice. as well as the start of your presentation or any document. So mm. it, it, kept, it, it, it it captures the audience to know exactly what you do, who you do it for, and what is unique. And a little bit of a tweak to say, aha, I, I want to hear more
0: Mm-mm.
1: versus I'm um, boring, you know?
0: So it's about creating the catch and keeping your audience captivated and making sure that you get the next interaction with them. The one thing I always try to say and, and guide on as well is that you often get very bad elevator pitches And you get some good ones. And I think the difference between the good and the bad as well is not necessarily around articulation or their conciseness, but also the content of what it is that you say. So we were discussing, I recall, in a previous episode, and we were looking at manufacturing, um, not manufacturing, we were looking at um, funding EQ and the bold difference between humility and confidence, tone, and what's brush and bold and what's actually accurate. And the use of language in that elevator pitch is something that we have to keep emphasizing on. So if you immediately come out and say, and we're the best in the business, that may not necessarily be correct, but you've got to hone in on what it is that your business is actually good at and why it is that you're worth a second audience. We'll catch up with you again after the break as we delve further into the language and the use of terminology in funding. Welcome back to SME Funding. And now we move on to the next word in our glossary of financing terms, equity. Kumaran, what does equity mean to you? And more importantly, how should our viewers at home be using it in the world of funding?
1: Equity is the mechanism to which someone owns a part of a business. It's generally through shares, ordinary shares, preference shares, but simplistically it's an instrument where they reflect their ownership Mm. In a business. Mm. So, if I, for audience at home, typically what would it be? There would be like three types of forms or three stages, right? Yes. So, when you decide to start up your business as a founder and a startup person, you own that business 100%. Mm-hmm. So, you own 100% of the equity.
0: Yes.
1: If you did it with a partner, equally, then you both own 50% of the equity mm-hmm. and you may bring some other partners in or or, mm-hmm. or uh, as stages go on and so you will have that and so it's a kind of informal level of equity in the sense that it's it's uh, not any external parties that have been structured out yes. later on you could get uh, you know proper external equity providers but we'll talk about that later I'm sure
0: oh right so kamran it's really just the share of ownership that doesn't have any well, the only financial value would it have is obviously related to the quantum of it that you own.
1: Well, you know, equity has uh, multiple uh, uh, values. It's, it okay. ha- it, first of all, it's associated with the highest risk of, of ah. right, versus debt or whatever it is, because there's no guarantee of getting your money back in any form. Mm-hmm. But uh, what's the value in equity, uh, financial value? The one is that it can pay you a dividend mm-hmm. every year or as and when there are profits. So a dividend, think of equity as owning the building and the dividend being the rent. Yes. So you get a bit of that from the profits. Mm -hmm. Or you could then sell the equity at a higher value. So again, I will use the analogy of a building. Imagine you own a building at a million Rand, Mm -hmm. you sell it three years later for three million Rand. So imagine you invest in equity at a million, the value of the business goes up, you cash out later... Three times the value. So it does have a a value enhancement on the growth of the capital Mm -hmm. as well as the dividends, which is the income stream of it. Those are the two financial.
0: So now that we've just spoken about selling a part of our equity, particularly hopefully when it's healthy equity, let's talk about the term equity financing. You tell us. So if I correctly know this term, it simply means finding different instruments within the funding marketplace to fund, perhaps increasing your share of equity in a business or selling an equity share in the business to increase your capital in the business and making sure that you are then able to finance whatever the risk as well as the difference in that equity share is to yourself and your different partners in the business. Yeah. So it's a very specialised form of finance, again, still. And it's one that's available generally through your very large commercial banks and your specialised financing Not so
1: much the banks, eh? Hey?
0: Not so much the banks. Yeah.
1: So remember early on when you, you, you were talking... But the
0: bank generally also take those shares themselves if you were in an investment or corporate finance type of environment.
1: Maybe corporate finance, yes. yeah, they, mm-hmm. they they could. So, earlier on we spoke about equity where you as a founder would mm. be the equity owner or you had some partners, and equity financing is using uh, that equity as an instrument to get uh, more funding. Mm. It's an expensive form of funding. getting uh, funding. Because mm-hmm. imagine if you borrow a million rand, you would just pay that million rand back with interest over five years, and that's mm. it, it's out. Mm. But if you took a million rand from someone as an equity investment, mm-hmm. now you have to give them dividends every year, depends what yes. it is, on that million rand.
0: Plus and, and, finance. Yeah,
1: and, and there's all sorts of other costs that, that come with it. So uh, you've got to really be careful if you want equity financing, I would suggest. So
0: to. maybe let's also discuss other forms in of equity financing. Um, listings? would Listing, form yeah. as, as, as part of It's a of very that. formal, yes. And, and you know, particularly for our smaller businesses and maybe our smaller, more established businesses, you know, the one conversation we often don't have is the power of the Altex, which is the second board on the JSE. Yes. And how that's created a really nice space for smaller businesses who yes. are interested now in opening themselves up publicly, yes. as it were, and joining the big board and how to use that.
1: Yes. And there's also private equity firms. Yes. Right, so they are a whole category of private equity firms. One can go into, I think it's SEFCA, the South African Association mm-hmm. of Venture Capital, something like that, yep. and you can find out uh, about uh, who the different private equity players
0: Who are interested in your specific sector, in the places and spaces that you want to operate in, and more importantly, will take the type of risk that you are asking them to. All right. Well, as we wind down our show this week, Kumaran, your tip of the week.
1: Funding language is the key to building any relationship, and I, I mention this tip all the time, which is learn the language to build a relationship.
0: Thank you very much, Sukumaran. To our viewers at home, we always look forward to your comments, to your feedback, as well as the interaction that we have about some of the challenges and opportunities that you are coming across in the funding marketplace. Please follow this conversation on social media at funding underscore SME. Email us your questions as well as your funding transactions, particularly those that you're currently in the process of or those that you've succeeded at at Funding at bdtv.co.za. And who knows, you may be next on joining us on the couch as we talk about what you're doing right and what you're perhaps doing wrong in the world of fina- funding and financing. Please also watch previous episodes of SME Funding on YouTube and um, the website as well, the Business Day website. We look forward to you being back with us on SME Funding and continue to share your thoughts, but also continue to seek funding and grow in this very interesting space. Thank you very much.